thank you. Appreciate that. Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. I'll get that. Don't worry about it. Romans chapter number 8. And uh, as you're turning there, um, we've got, uh, we're all looking a little scruffy as, our, our, as we're doing No Shave November. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I should bring a, a tip, you know, a, a beard tip every, uh, I don't know, every Sunday night. And uh, I don't know, I, this year, I, I've, only, I've only ever done this two or three times in my life. I've never had a full beard. And so I'm kind of curious how that'll turn out. Um, I just never really had opportunity or time to do that. But, uh, uh, but one of the tips I read, all right, it, I haven't had the itchy. You know, when it first grows back, I mean, it's itchy. And, uh, and so they said, take a little bit of, a little bit of oil, a little bit. Of, I'd use coconut oil. That's what I use. And, uh, and I put it on there, and I haven't had any itchy. So there's your beard tip uh, for Sunday night, all right? Uh, that, maybe that'll help you. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But uh, you can do with it what you want. And, uh, and I don't know if there's really enough tips that I could give because I'm like zero. I don't know anything about this. Uh, so maybe that'll help you. So that has absolutely nothing to do with the message, nor is it spiritual, but it's fun, and, uh, and that's okay. So Romans chapter number 8, and you're allowed to laugh, and you're allowed to have fun in church, uh, and sometimes, you know, I, I, when it comes down to preaching, I'm serious, and I generally preach serious, but, uh, uh, but I'm not against having fun. Um, in my house, matter of fact, they all, they all know me, they say I'm not the fun guy. Uh, and it's kind of a play on words. I'm not a mushroom. I'm not a fungi. And, uh, and so uh, it just is what it is. I, I like to have fun. I just don't think I just, I don't know. It's just not me. I enjoy having fun and laughing, but uh, uh, I don't cause it very often, I guess. I don't know. So Romans chapter number eight. And tonight I want to look at this verse and I, and I want us to get into this. And I want us, I've really spent quite a bit of time, even just this week, and, and really looking at this. And, and I want us to cover very clearly uh, this idea of predestination. It comes right in our text. And while preaching through the Word of God, that's one of the things is, is that sometimes you come across stuff, and, uh, and, and it's funny, the commentators will skip that verse. You know, they won't cover that. They're not going to deal with that. Uh, but I feel like this is such an important topic that it's something that we need to deal with and something that we need to understand. Now, uh, I'm, I will tell you right up front uh, that, that this is probably the meat of the Word of God. This is not the milk of the Word of God. Okay, We're dealing with some, some very deep uh, and some very difficult sometimes things to wrap our heads around. After church this morning, I was talking with a fellow in our church and, and we were discussing really uh, the idea of uh, of Jesus in his humanity and Jesus in his deity and and how did those two things merge and really sometimes I'll be honest with you it's difficult uh, to really merge those things we're, we're not talking about um, the milk of the word we're talking about deeper really understanding and the Bible sometimes doesn't tell us all of those things either, uh, but it is difficult to understand. It is difficult to understand how God was 100% flesh and how God was, uh, or Jesus was 100% God as well. And, and I don't know that I have all the answers to that. And I don't claim to have all the answers to everything in the Bible. 
I do know this, that we do our best to understand things. I will say this as well before we get into our text, that, uh, that God is way up here. I wish I would have wrote that verse down. It's in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and, and really, God is infinite when it comes to knowledge and when it comes to information. And we are finite. And some of us, me, uh, and probably more finite than some of you. In other words, there's probably less things that I understand uh, than maybe you have a better grasp on some things than I really grasp or I get a hold of. Uh, but we're going to do our best to wrestle through this and understand, and hopefully at the end of this tonight, uh, that you will at least have a good basic working knowledge of what the idea of predestination is in the Bible. Because the Bible deals with it. And it's very confused with so many ideas that are put out there today. Um, and so uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. We'll take our text there and we'll just read a couple verses here. And then we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get into uh, the message tonight. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. And we'll start with this verse. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse number 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So let's stop right there and uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message tonight. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for, again, the privilege that we have to be in your house. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would give us understanding minds of, God, not what other people imagine, but what you have said in your word. God, help us to understand what you have written in your word here in Romans 8, 29, and 30. And God, help us to be able to wrap our minds around it as best we can. And God, I pray that you would help me uh, to explain uh, and give a, a clarity as best as I can, Father, uh, on these verses. And God, uh, in the end, may we glorify you in all that's said and done. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. A lot of people, and even Baptists, and, uh, and others have greatly confused the idea of predestination. Now maybe you're here and, and you say, well, I don't know what predestination is. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me just give you an idea of what a lot of the, uh, the theologians and people, uh, namely Calvin, he would be one of the, the primary ones, uh, that, that kind of came up with this idea. And they claim that predestination is this and that God has predestined uh, some people to be saved. And in saying that, and though they may not say he has predestined others to hell, that's exactly what takes place. Because if, if I have a group of five people, uh, and I bring them up here and I say, okay, you go over here, and you go over here, and you go over here, and I took three over there, and I left two over there, 
then effectively I have predestined those three to go to that group, and I have not predestined those, but I have actually predestined them because the only other alternative is to go to hell. And so if I've selected and predetermined these ones to go over there, then I have predetermined the destination of those others as well. And let me just say this, and we've been going through the book of Romans, okay? We're all the way up to chapter 8. In Romans chapter number 3, God was dealing with sin. In Romans chapter number 4 and 5, God, or God was dealing with justification by faith. He was talking about salvation that we receive by faith. And, and so that is all clarified in Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5. And then he moves on and he starts to explain our, our spiritual life in chapter number 6. And in 7, he talks about uh, the, the difficulties of the flesh and the spirit and how they are not the same and they kind of go against each other. And then in chapter 8, he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit being indwelling in us. And that if we would follow the Spirit and we'd heed to the Spirit, hey, that there would be uh, great benefits of doing that. Okay, so what am I getting at? All of that I'm saying in Romans chapter 8 that, that he is not dealing with how to be saved. Understand that. That's just basic context of the book of Romans. So if he's not dealing with how to be saved in Romans chapter 8, then predestination is not dealing with being saved. Okay, does that make sense? Is that clear? Uh, because he's already dealt with how to be saved way back in chapters 4 or 5. Uh, and, and those, I'd have to go back and relook at them. But, but earlier on, he dealt with the method of salvation. And now he's dealing with the spiritual benefits of being saved. So, uh, so just to make that very clear, and, uh, and I want us to go through these verses and kind of look at them. Now let's define a couple of terms, and, uh, and I'll, I'll put these uh, out there for you. Number one, the first term we need to define is foreknow. Uh, that's kind of basic. It's to have previous knowledge of, to know something beforehand. Now, I want to say this, that, uh, that God is omniscient. There's no doubt about that, Okay. Now, how can we understand that in a practical level? I can't. I just simply cannot wrap my head around, nor can I define for you uh, somebody who knows everything. I, that's just, I can't fathom that, much less put it in words for you. But we do know that that is an attribute of God. And so I will be honest with you, I may struggle in defining that and helping us to grasp that. And I may struggle in trying to merge that with this idea even of predestination uh, as is listed here or, or predestinate. Now the second term we need to understand not only is for, for no to have previous knowledge of, but predestined. Now predestined means to foreordain or predetermine. Okay? And uh, Calvinism would have you to believe that, some, that God predestinated some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell, even though they may not say the latter part. And I'm reminded of a joke, and I will tell you this joke because it's kind of funny since we're dealing with Calvinism. Uh, there's hyper-Calvinism. Now, hyper-Calvinism believes that everything that happens in your life was preordained by God. 
In other words, if you get up and you walk across the room and you stub your toe, uh, that was preordained that that would take place of God. The Bible does not say that that is a thing, okay? That's just what people have, have come. So this hyper-Calvinist, he got up and he was getting ready to go downstairs and boom, he fell down the flight of stairs. He got up at, at the bottom and he wiped his brow off. He said, man, thank God that's over with. Because it was predetermined before God that he... Anyways. And that's as funny as they get. I'm sorry. Um, so we are not Calvinistic. We do not believe that uh, God predestined some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. It, there's, a, there's many reasons why, and we, we simply don't have time to go through all the reasons. But let me just give you one, uh, or two rather, that it simply does not fit the, the broad narrative of the Bible. And I'll give it to you in a really simple verse that you will remember very easily because it's John 3, write this down, Verse number 16. You got it? You already know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God had ordained and select, let's divide the auditorium so we got a middle aisle. If God had preordained and select this group over here to go to heaven, then he would not have written John 3.16 and said, for whosoever. He would have said, for only the elect would go to heaven. But he did not say that. And there's multiple verses throughout Scripture that will say, whosoever. I wrote a whole list of them down. We'll probably go through them a little bit later. But, but you can remember that for John 3, 16, for the sake of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, by the way, if God loved the whole world, then all the world has opportunity to be saved. Otherwise, again, it would say just the elect. For God loved only the elect, and He sent His Son only to the elect so that only those who were predestined to be saved. That's one of the reasons. It just does not fit the broader narrative of the entire New Testament that Jesus came to save that which is lost. That's what He said. And the Bible goes on in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 9, and we've gone over this verse a few times, but it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, us word, this phrase, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, what is the will of God? Is that all would come to repentance. God could not put that verse in the Bible if there were a select group of people that had been predestined to be saved. It just wouldn't fit. And so uh, there's so many of those verses uh, that, that we know and we understand this. Uh, whether or not we can wrap our heads around predestination understand all of it, we can certainly rule out the fact that some people are predestined to heaven and some people are predestined to hell because of the Bible verses that we just looked at, just those two, and there's many more. 
But I want us to see here in verse number 28, and we'll go to our text, and we'll do our best to explain this text and understand it so that you have something that you can, uh, that you can look at and think about. The Bible says here in verse number 28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. The first thing I want us to note in verse number 28 is that God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Most people get saved out of a fear of the consequence of their sin. I was talking to somebody and, and they said, well, I didn't really understand all of salvation. And uh, when I got saved, I said, nobody does. Almost nobody does. Most people, they get saved because they realize, well, the consequence of my sin is that I'm going to go to hell. And that scares them. But that's biblical. I mean, that's what God said. That is a consequence of our sin. So then many people will put their faith and trust in God because they're like, I don't want that. By the way, nobody does. I mean, that's insane to want that. Uh, but some people, some people actually love their sin so much that they're like, I'll put it off. I'll do that later. And they'll put it off, and they'll put it off, and they'll put it off. And I've watched them, I've witnessed to them, I've talked to them. I said, listen, you need to trust the Lord. And, he, and I've had one guy tell me, I don't want to give up drinking. He said, I don't want to let go of that. And I'm like, well, you know, God wants to save you. You need to put your faith and trust in Him. He said, I, I don't want to. That's what he told me. And so many people will put that off. But I'm just saying that God has a purpose for your life. And most people don't have a good understanding of their salvation. And they certainly don't have a good understanding of perhaps the, the will of God for their life. Go with me. Save your spot here in Romans. We're covering the purpose of God in our life. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 1, just over a few pages, and we'll go right back to Romans. We'll not be here long. But uh, the Bible says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And he goes on and talks about the carnality that was there in 1 first, in, in first Corinthians. Paul is not addressing uh, the people of Romans like he was in the people of, of Corinth. Matter of fact, predestination is not mentioned one time in the book of Corinth, uh, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Matter of fact, it's mentioned very few times in the Bible, to be honest with you. And this is one of those passages. So as I said, we're dealing with a meaty portion of the Word of God. And God certainly has a purpose and a will for your life. Now, a, a very uh, broad terms, I can tell you what is God's purpose for your life. What is God's will? What is God's desire for your life? God wants to use you. And what is the corporate purpose of, of God's will for your life? 
Well, it's very simple. It's the same for all people. If you've been saved, then, hey, God's will is for you to be baptized, scripturally baptized. If you're saved, then it's God's will for you to read the Bible. If you're saved, uh, then it's God's will for you to attend church. If you're saved, then it's God's will for you to submit to the Spirit of God in your life. If you're saved, then it's God's will for you to witness to other people. These are basic things that we have, we've gone through in the Word of God, and we know those, okay? Those are all the milk of the Word of God. And that's God's purpose. Now, you could go a step further and say, okay, that's good. I've got those things down in my life. And by the way, even if you have those things down in your life, you'll find that you have to go back and revisit them because you tend to drop one. You can only uh, balance so many things. And so maybe you're reading your Bible and you're attending church and, and you're submitting to the Spirit, but you forgot to witness. Maybe you're, you're witnessing and, and you're attending church, maybe you forgot to read your Bible and to pray. And there's always something in our life that we tend to leave out or, or forget about or it goes by the wayside. And so those are always relevant things for us to deal with. But those are very uh, very broad items that, uh, that we need to deal with in our life and we ought to have and understand and know this is God's purpose. But then we have God's desire for your individual life too. And I can't look at you and say, hey brother, this is God's will for your life that you should work at McDonald's. I can't tell you that. Now, is it God's will? I don't know. It could be. God will lead you and God will direct you in the area of where you work and, and things that you do in your life. God certainly uh, is interested. Uh, God is not a, a God that sits in heaven and He's not interested in the details of our life. He is interested in the details of our life. He is interested in, in the decisions and choices we make. And, and they're not broad corporate things that, we, that the preacher can say, well, this is and this is and this is. Uh, sometimes we just we have to seek God's will in our life. But understand this, that God has a purpose for every person's life. And, and if we're living and following Him, then all things, it says there in this verse, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So the first thing we have is, is the purpose of God there in verse 28. And He has a desire for our life. And we understand that. And then He leads right into verse number 29. And look at what He says. He says in verse number 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 29 is not all of a sudden switching and talking about being predestined to go to heaven. He's continuing his thought of the purpose of God. And he says here, he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What did he predestinate him to? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, um, as we look at it here, we understand that the context and, uh, and, and God's, uh, God's knowledge here, uh, He foreknows those that, not necessarily individually, those that will put their trust in Him, uh, but certainly He has a corporate plan. 
And that would be the idea that, hey, corporately, those that are saved, those that do put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those are predestinated to be conformed to the image of God. I read an illustration. I don't know that I like it. I don't know that it's complete, but it, it certainly helped me understand a little bit. And, and like I said, it's you can't put God in a box. Okay, it just He doesn't fit in a box for one thing. He's far greater than anything that we could imagine. But I hope maybe this illustration will help you a little bit. Uh, this idea of, of if we take a common object or a common idea that all of us can understand, then maybe we'll understand it a little better. Uh, if you had a master chess player, and I am not a master, I'm probably not even a novice chess player, okay? Um, but if you had a master chess player, and, and he, would, he would have, I mean, thousands of moves uh, in his mind. I know enough about chess. My dad has tried to teach me to play chess, and, and I've played chess. I know how to play, but I, I never really got good. And my dad would always say, you always have to think five moves ahead. I'm like, man, I can't hardly think of one move ahead. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to keep five moves ahead. And, and so a master chess player would, would automatically look at the board and he would, he would know if you, there's, there's thousands, there's hundreds of opening moves and closing moves and, and do this and do that. And, and if you do this, then you know your opponent uh, is going to probably do this. And if he does this, uh, then you're going to do this and then that, and you'll, you kind of have the map all placed out of what is going to take place. Now, I started this by saying God's thoughts are far greater than ours. God is a master chess player. And we're, we're all novices, okay, for the, for the sake of this illustration. And maybe some are better at novice level than others, but we're all novice nonetheless compared to God. And so when we move our one position, God has already got it figured out. Now take it to a greater level that God can play chess with a thousand people at the same time and go from, now he's omnipresent. So we're, again, we're limiting his knowledge, we're limiting his presence. But I mean, that's kind of the illustration to help us understand that God can foreknow things that will take place that maybe we don't always understand how he can know all of those things, but at the same time he is not made man as a robot. Understand that. God has, has designed us with a free will to make choices in our life. Sometimes we make good choices, sometimes we make bad choices, but we all make choices in our life. God has not ordained those choices in our life. But God is so wise and so smart and so omniscient that if you make this choice or that choice or any invariance in between, He can compensate with His chess moves to, to, to coordinate things differently. Does that make sense? So He has not predestined, He has not selected uh, these people to go to heaven and those people to go to hell or anything of that nature, uh, but certainly He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of God. So all that illustration was the foreknowledge, the foreknow. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What is the predestination? 
Every time you see predestination in, in Scripture, it is always predestination to a service, not to salvation. Uh, and so you need to understand that as well. It's always predestination. Look at what it says here. For also, or he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. We started off in verse 28, the purpose of God for our life. We go on in verse 29, and it's more than a purpose. It is a predestination. He desires that every single person be, be conformed to the image of God. Every person that's saved, every person that's born again. And that's what he desires. And how, how are we to be conformed to the image of God? Well, that's sanctification. And that's what he desires, is that we would live like Christ did. Go back in your minds, at least, in Acts chapter number 11, in verse 26, the Bible says this, uh, that the last phrase of that verse says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Why were they called Christians there? Because they acted like little Christ. It actually was not a good term. They actually used it in a, a mocking sense. Oh, you little Christians. And they would mock them and make fun of them. Why did they do that? Because those disciples were living like Christ. They were acting like Christ. In what way? In the sense that, hey, he went out and he preached the gospel to many people and his desire was to help people and see people saved and born again. And that's what those disciples in Antioch did. Listen, that's God's desire for you and I. He said that we would be predestinated to be conformed to his image. In other words, hey, that people would look at us and they'd say, that guy lives like a Christian, like somebody who's saved, somebody who's born again. That word Christian has been very destroyed, if I could say it that way, over the years. It bothers me that they refer to Christian, to things that, to people that are not even saved. And that's really where it is gone. But our, our desire and our God's desire is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And again, we know that this is not talking about salvation. John 3.16, that we said, even John 3.15, the verse before 16, says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. John 11.26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? John 12.46, I am come into the light, uh, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on Me should not abide in darkness. Romans 10.13, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And so we know that this is not dealing with salvation, but it's dealing with sanctification. It's dealing with the fact that God said, hey, all of those that put their faith and trust in me uh, should be conformed to the image of Christ. And so uh, I hope that is very clear from that verse. And by the way, that is what he said would happen. Um, he said, listen, we're going to have, we're going to get, we'll, we'll kind of cover that in the next verse, but we're going to get a glorified body. Uh, we're going to be changed. And, uh, and we look forward to that day. And so we see the, the purpose in verse 28. We see the predestination in verse 29 that he's predestined us, predestinated us 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Why? That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We talked about that earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse number... Uh, verse number talks about the inheritance. Verse number 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And so uh, we've already discussed that idea that, hey, we will be uh, the brethren and joint heirs and an inheritance with Jesus Christ. Go on to verse number 30. Verse number 30, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate... Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This is the, uh, the same process for every person that accepts God's great gift of salvation. Uh, what is that calling? Well, there's many callings throughout the Word of God. Some people are called to, uh, to preach, some people are not called to preach. But I can tell you this, in 1 Peter 2.21, uh, the Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in His steps. In other words, we've been called to follow. We looked at this morning, Mark chapter 1, uh, and I'm always amazed when Jesus walks by the disciples and He walks by Andrew and Peter and He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed Him. And, uh, and they were called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, as Christians, we are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He desires of us. And so we can see that we are called to follow Him. We can see that we are called to justification. He talks about that all back in uh, Romans chapter 5, and that we have been justified. That starts at salvation. And listen, uh, he, you, you sin in your life, and He justifies. And praise the Lord, that song we sang this, uh, this evening and this morning, uh, He took my sins away. Praise the Lord for that that, hey, our sins are gone, and He justifies, that would be just as if we have never sinned. Verse 30 goes on and He says, Them He also glorified. And He's talking about, hey, the fact that we're made to set in heavenly places. And listen, someday we will get a glorified body as well. And, uh, and we look forward to that day. And so uh, understand that this predestination is a predestination to be conformed to the image of God. It's a predestination to service. You say, listen, uh, God wants you to serve. Yes, He does. He wants every Christian, every person who's been saved and born again, that whole idea of all the corporate uh, will of God and purpose of God and desire of God for your life, that you would attend church, read the Bible, you'd be baptized if you're not baptized, uh, that you would witness to other people, that you would pray, that you would submit to the Spirit, that you would do all of those things. Hey, that's what God desires. And isn't that what Jesus Christ did in His life? Those are all the same things. And so God expects that of us. And that is the idea uh, of the predestination in this verse. Uh, he did not predestine some to, be, some to be sent to heaven and others to be sent to hell. Um, somebody said once that, uh, that you'll never become, uh, uh, they call that Calvinism, those who believe in that. You'll never become a Calvinist by reading your Bible. 
become a Calvinist by reading other things that people wrote and, and turned it into uh, the idea that, hey, God, God predestined some to go to heaven. By the way, if, if God predestined some to go to heaven, then why would he command us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel? There wouldn't be any need for it. I mean, if he is selected and predetermined that they're already saved, then whether you go or don't go, they're going to get saved and you have nothing to do with it. It just doesn't fit with the entire narrative of the Bible. And so understand that predestination, when we, when we find it in the Bible, which you find it here in Romans 8, and you find it in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 11 or 4, 5, 6, down through, there, uh, down through that passage, uh, you'll find that there as well. But it's dealing with us being conformed to the image of Christ that we should serve God with our life. And I don't know that I've done the greatest of, of explaining uh, all of that. There is a lot to it. Uh, and it's, it's a lot to, to take in and understand. But I hope at least I've given you a surface idea of that and, uh, and, and an understanding that, uh, that of what the Word of God says in, in whole about those things. And by the way, I'll say this. You can take a verse. You can take one verse out of the Bible, and you can really twist it to mean a lot of things. That's why context is so important. Um, I've never forgotten the fact that uh, you can take some verses and say, see, you, you have to be uh, baptized to be saved. If you read one or two verses, you might be able to come up with that idea. But it doesn't fit the narrative of the rest of Scripture. Um, you might be able to take a couple verses and, and show somebody that, that, oh, you can lose your salvation. But it doesn't fit the narrative of Scripture. And so you've got to take the whole of the Bible and say, hey, let's look at all of these and let's really determine what is uh, the mindset. And sometimes there are some verses I can say, yeah, I'm not for sure what that means. But I know what it says here and I know what it says here and I know what it says here and I know what it says there. These are plain. So where the plain truth of Scripture makes sense, don't seek any other sense. There's no need to go searching for, for deeper stuff. And so many people, they, they become Calvinist on logical notions. They're not, they're not uh, off-the-wall crazy people. They have arrived there at a logical notion. It just doesn't line up with Scripture. And so, uh, so we need to understand that uh, because sometimes we do think, you know, well, people, they're just not right and they're crazy. Not, there's some very smart people uh, that aren't right and very smart people that will, will run off on a tangent that may not line up with what the Bible says. And, uh, and so we do need to understand that as well. All right, well, I hope that's a blessing and a help to you. Let's stand and have a word of prayer and a short invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I've done the best I can to try and explain all of this and Help us come to a truthful conclusion of what you have in your word. And God, I pray that you'd help us to wrap our heads around it and understand it. And God, most importantly, that we would take what we do know in the scripture and we'd apply it to our lives. Maybe we won't always understand everything. God, you're so much more than what we could even comprehend. 
we're finite people and you're infinite. And you are omniscient and God, we're certainly limited in our capacities. And so God, where we are lacking, help us to apply what we do know from your word. And the fact that you do have a purpose for our life. And the fact that you do desire us to be conformed to the image of Christ and that we ought to live for you. God, I pray that you'd help us to apply those truths to our life. And we'll certainly thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. to a close.